Hi, hello, bonjour. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I am your host, Anne Muletala. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Clem, or Clementine Desso. Clem is a model, the CEO of the All Women Project. She's a TEDx speaker and an entrepreneur and an advocate. I mean, what can't she do? She's also a big foodie, loves jumpsuits, and will get on to all of that. So without further ado, I am delighted to bring you this lovely conversation with Clementine Desault. So I thought that what we could do to start is ask you to introduce yourself for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, my name is Clementine Desault and I'm 31 years old. I'm French. I was born in Toulouse, south of France, and I now live in Miami Beach, uh, but I've been living in New York for the last almost seven years before that. I am a model, an activist, and the CEO of the All Women Project, an influencer, whatever you call it. Okay. <laughs> I hate this name. <laughs> and I'm a dog mom as well, mother of Miss Baguette, a giant schnauzer of almost four years old. So obviously we know each other, we're friends. But before this interview, I thought it'd be really worth it for me to spend some time sort of diving into the story of Clem. So what does body positivity mean to you? I would say in general, body positivity is really literally means whatever your body is, being able to accept it and ultimately love it. And that also means uplifting each other's body and valuing each other's body, regardless of shape, size, age, ability, and everything. How long ago have you come across that term? Because for me, it wasn't something that I'd heard a lot until quite recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, body positivity is, is way old, but it became known, I would say, to the white public in America about 10 years ago. And for us in France and in Europe, probably five years ago, but nobody really talked about it until two or three years ago. So for me, I kind of just like jump into it when I first moved to America, maybe about eight or nine years ago. You know, starting as a plus size model, I knew a bunch of people that were already talking about it. And so I kind of just jumped right in and made it my own. You mentioned you considered yourself an activist. Could you tell us a little bit about how you fit body positivity and activism together? Or Mm -hmm. what are the differences for you as well? I mean, I was called before body positivity activist, which is true. Uh, It's not untrue. Uh, But I would say, (laughs) I would say like in my mind, you're an activist or you're not because being an activist is just about defending and promoting things that you believe in. Body positivity is the main thing for me because that's what I started with and that's what my charity is mostly about. And I'm a plus size model, so it makes sense. Recently, I also worked a lot on mental health activism with some partner through my charity, The All Woman Project. Also, I just started for abused women, you know, abusive relationships. That's something that is really new um, that I'm also really getting into. I would definitely consider myself an activist. I think I was since I was a kid. Like, I was always the one defending all the other kids and the one speaking up and the one like, you know, bothering teachers about stuff that was important. So yeah, I think I just always had it in me, right? I just didn't know there was a name for it. Yeah, I'm trying to do my best. That's great. Thank you for that awesome transition because I wanted to ask you, what did you want to be when when you were a kid? What did you imagine yourself to become as a grown-up? 
So, I mean, I had really different phases, but I would say I wanted to be anywhere from a background dancer at the hit machine, you know, that like music show that we had back in France, back in the days. <laughs> that was like a dream. And then I wanted to be a singer. Then I discovered my voice was not that good. And then I wanted to be a family judge because I wanted to defend kids that were in like difficult situations. Then wow. a kid psychologist because, you know, I had issues. And so I wanted to be able to like help kids that had issues like me but all that just I just moved on and but the one thing that always always was my dream I wanted to be Indiana Jones and that was like I was like my dream so yeah so I you know I ended up being a model like by the way of business school and editing and all a bunch of stuff I've done in the meantime but you know I think in the end I'm pretty close to being Indiana Jones because I like I traveled a lot I discover a bunch of stuff, whether it's food, places, people, and I'm an adventurer. And, you know, I fight for people that can fight for themselves. And sometimes I find gold or surprises or stuff, you know? So I think it's like I managed to like somehow being close to him. But Oh, know, that's awesome. I, yeah. I love I, it. So tell me, how did you become a model? I became a model. Well, it was it was a long process for me. I first started taking pictures for fun as a hobby, just as a way of seeing myself uh, in a different light, hoping to get my self confidence up. I think the first time I signed with an agency, quote unquote, because it lasted about three months, then they closed. I think I was eighteen, and then in my first internship in Paris when I was in business school, I was looking for ways to make money because my internship wasn't paid, and I came across this agency that I saw. I don't know where on Facebook or somewhere that was promoting that they were looking for plus size models. And that was the first time, you know, in a while that I've heard of that. And I was, I think, 20 at the time. So I went there, met with them. They offered me a contract right there. And so I started working maybe once or twice a year, like just when I was in Paris, for like Kiabi, Gémeaux, like those little like catalogs from France. And it was fun, but it was just a way to just make a little bit of pocket money and just boost my confidence and just experience something else. And then when I moved to Paris for my first job in 2010, I think it was, when I graduated, I started going to more castings and do a few more things because I was in Paris. And then I casted for this brand called Castaluna. And at the time, it was uh, the first e-commerce specifically for size 42 plus. And I got the casting and the whole casting was about dancing in your underwear on like a Beyonce song. I, I was like, ah, 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 ah. it was really good. So I nailed it. I got the job. And so it was TV commercial that ended up coming out on French TV when I had already moved to Miami. So like in 2011, that was my first like big job, I would say, that came with a lot of critiques, comments, everything. And then when I first moved here, the same months I moved in Miami, I actually sent a few photos to American Apparel because they were doing a contest called The Next Big Thing. So they were looking for like their big size girl to also model bodysuits, which is what I did for Castelluna. So I was like, huh. yeah, that's my thing. And so same thing. They just called me back a couple of days later saying, hey, you want our contest to be our next Egerie and fly to LA to like shoot the campaign, blah, blah, blah. I was like super excited. It was my first thing. Then when the campaign came out, it was in every store and billboards and stuff like that. And so this agency in Miami sold images and then found me on Facebook and asked me if I wanted to work with them. And so they offered me a contract and a visa and all that. And I was like, perfect. 
But then two years into that, I decided to move to New York because it was just the best, you know, solution for me if I wanted to take this seriously. So I've been with my agency now in New York with Muse for like eight years. And it's been doing great. Like three months in, could start living off of just modeling. And it just got better and better. Like since then, every year is getting better. So it's been great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'd love to know what you enjoy about modeling. Mm, good question. <laughs> um, what I enjoy the most is the freedom. Just working for myself, pretty much. Not having to, you know, just have a boss to talk to or really anyone to report to. That's great. Even though agents sometimes are seen like bosses, even though they work for me, so they're really not. But sometimes that relationship is a bit interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I love, I think I love the traveling a lot. Just being able to pop in planes and being everywhere, even though that's also something I hate because my body aches because of it. But I just love the opportunity to go in countries and meet different people and speak different languages. Then I love all the opportunities that's been, you know, it's been giving me, like being able to like not only be a face, but also be a voice, talk to other women, like create new businesses because of it. And finally, I love the money because I mean, it's great money. I don't work much, but I make a decent amount. So I love that, that I can have a lot of free time to do other stuff because of that. So that's, that's really great. And I mean, I have to ask the biggest challenges about modeling, what would you think they are? I mean, the biggest challenges is definitely the schedule. I mean, it's okay for me because I'm used to it and I like, like the unpredictability of everything, but it is so unreliable and so unpredictable. Like, Right now it's COVID time, so I have nothing to do. It's great. I can plan ahead. In normal times, I can't confirm anything more than a few days in advance because I probably I'm going to have to cancel it or move it. My schedule moves so fast and so last minute that it's really impossible to plan. So I know a lot of people are really anxious about that. And I know it drives my mom crazy because she's just like, can't even imagine how I live. <laughs> you know, like things like that. It's, it's really hard. And also I would say um, for me personally, it's not a problem. The pressure of just conforming and the pressure of being judged on your physique and not so much on what, everything else you have to bring to the table. So that's, that's been a bit of an issue for me at first. But I think it really helped me like just developing my own voice and things on the side and knowing that now when I book campaigns, like I know it's because they think I'm pretty and I'm going to make the clothes look good, but also they want to you know, hear my voice, what I have to say, and they want to associate with me because of that as well. So I think that's really helped me. But I know a lot of girls really suffer from that, just being seen as objects and just bodies and being moved around and not having so much say into, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. But yeah, I mean, it's also tiring. The traveling is insane. You definitely need a good chiropractor, a good massage therapist, a lot of yoga and Pilates to compensate because it's just it just hurts. Like, you know, you're sitting or standing on heels all the time and it's a stop, you know? That makes sense. So when I was going through articles and, and then I saw a couple of your covers, I mean, Marie France, I think you were on the mm -hmm. cover of? Yeah. Tell me, what was it like to be on a cover? Ah, uh, that was fun. Definitely a good one to be on the French cover, especially just because, you know, it's been so tough. Like I grew up in France, been really tough, never seeing myself represented anywhere, especially in women's magazines. So yeah, when that came around, it was, it was really exciting to be on the cover of a French magazine and knowing that, 
like a lot of French women are going to get to see this, see someone that looks a little bit more like them probably than their models that they usually see on those covers. So that was really exciting and it definitely felt really good. The editor was great. And so we just worked together and picked the brand that I liked and that I like to work with and that I know are good. I had a lot of say in that whole story, which was really exciting. And yeah, it was just kind of like not a revenge, you know, this feeling of like, you made fun of me my whole life. I suffered because how French people was judging me, but then I end up on a French cover, you know? And, and so, and that's the same feeling I get when I get on French TV and I get to like represent plus size women for French women. And it's great um, for us in France, which is very, very new. So that's definitely exciting. Probably just why I'm even given a voice is because I am, you know, pretty good in my own shoes right now, but I wasn't always because, you know, when I used to live in France, I wasn't because society didn't let me. And when I moved to Miami, that's when the change happened really for me. So that was interesting to just like how your change of environment can really change your outlook on yourself and how well you feel in your own body. And that's why I usually say to girls that keep asking me like, you know, what's your secret, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's not really any secret. You just have to understand that your environment and others are the issue, not yourself. And so when you understand that, that really helps because then you know how to quiet the voices that are negative around you and how to change your environment without moving across the world necessarily, but just change your environment so that you're in a positive, loving environment, like an environment that values you instead of try to destroy you or make you doubt yourself. Bully just have a way to see how you shine and make sure that they want to take that shine down. So if you don't shine so much, you're probably not going to get bullied. You know what I mean? Because, and that's why a lot of women also feel like they can't shine as bright as they feel they can because they are afraid that people are going to get after them, especially other women. Like I know growing up for me, it was really hard because I was always a very like bubbly and shiny and like really like type of person. But a lot, a lot, a lot of time I had to play shy and I, I had to play dumb and I had to play a lot of things just to not attract attention, just so I wouldn't get bullied. So I, I know a lot of women are feeling like that and it sucks because if you are your true self, but you're whether too emotional or you don't feel strong enough to defend yourself or you're just too sensitive to defend yourself, then you just get bullied and there's nothing you can fucking do about it because bullies just pick the brightest person in the room and try to bring it down, you know? Mm. That's what they do. I just started in a book called Fierce Conversations and the, the writer mentioned something saying that one of the reasons people are not having fierce conversations is because if they do, they will be seen. Of course. And of course, it's much easier not to have deep conversations. It's much mm-hmm. easier not to shine because then you're not seen. Wow. Yeah. And you're not, yeah, you're not seen, you're not judged, you're not criticized, you know, and it's, you're kind of safe in a way. So that's a so, choice. But the thing is, the first time I saw you was that I saw your eyes. Jérôme Lagarde. Oh, yes, I'm Jérôme painting. Is that the first time you saw me? For sure. That was oh, way I before know. I met you in New York. Oh, okay. So for our listeners, I I was organizing an event in Miami during Art Basel and the exhibition that was planned, the artist had to pull out. We didn't know what to do. And I knew Jérôme Lagarrigue, who's an amazing painter and a friend. And so I reached out to him and said, here's the gallery size. Do you have any paintings? 
and I selected some of the paintings and your eyes were yeah. the, shining, the bright shining star of our <laughs> There you were in the center of the wall. I remember seeing it because I wasn't there at the time, but Jérôme had told me about it. And I remember like Lucy had sent me like videos and photos of, of the expo and I was just, like so excited. And at the time, I still didn't know who Jérôme, like how big it was really. And so I was like, oh, when you're done, can I have my painting? It was like, it's sold for, I don't know, many thousand dollars. <laughs> Someone has my face. Someone has my eye. What? <laughs> I was just like really excited, but yeah. Uh, okay. I didn't know that was the first time you saw me. Yeah. That's really cool. So you're a model in front of a photographer. What was the experience for you to see yourself painted? First time I ever met him and went to his atelier and we talked for like five hours and he took pictures of me and it was the best day. And then it was really like just seeing myself painted just felt so much different than seeing a picture or a video it's like someone was taking a picture of my soul and then put it on a painting. Even though he did it on a picture, it's like he painted what he's seen, what he saw inside, you know? And he just, it just, it was gorgeous. I mean, and that's why it's so good is because his paintings to me are so emotional. You know, like I saw myself in another way and I've been wanting to get one of this, one of his paintings since then. Um, I can't wait to get my own. So... I want to go back to another question that I'd written and it was kind of, what is it like to be seen? I read your point of view on a lot of plus size model being used for naked shots or very close to naked shots and feeling very objectified. There was a super interesting interview of you in the cut. I'm going to quote you here. You said, we're not treated the same way. In editorial, they want skinny girl clothes because it looks great. They want big girls naked because they look like art. It's a weird way to see a full body, which is so annoying to me. There's still a lot of work to do on this, but it's moving. And that was a couple of years ago. So how do you feel it's moved on since then? And do you still feel very objectified in that way? So first part, yes, it is. I mean, it is accurate. This is just facts, you know, like there is more plus size models in magazine and editorials that are shown naked or close to naked than closed. It's still, still facts. It was way worse at the time uh, of the interview a couple of years ago. I would say the last two years have been huge for plus size models. We've been in closed editorial, beauty editorial, jewelry editorials. We've been used more and more for things that have nothing to do with our size or the shape of our bodies. So that's been really good and it's, it's getting better every day. So it's good, but it's still very true that we are objectified because of like fetishism or whatever it is. I feel like also because designers, editors, people don't know what the hell to do with our body because we don't fit any samples. They're just like, oh, let's put her naked. Like, it's like art, right? Because like Botticelli and all that, it's beautiful. It's like the original female shape. It used to be the only way we were accepted. It is getting way better, but I mean, it's, if I put a picture of me in a dress, I mean, sure, they like the dress, gonna get some love, but they don't really care as much to, to see you closed because it's not, there's no shock factor. And I think that's also um, a reality of just like our society where shock factor is everything. And a plus size body, uh, when you see the skin, almost naked or naked, is way bigger of a shock factor than if you see a skinny girl naked. Because mm. a skinny girl naked is like, okay, I need. Mean, Nobody's shocked anymore. You see a big girl naked, it's not only way more skin, 
but it's also a lot of curves and it's stuff that are not, I would say, hugely accepted. So when you see that, you're like, whoa, whether because she's big or whether because you think she's brave or crazy or, or any beautiful. Kind of reason. Yeah, beautiful. But she would be just as beautiful if she would have clothes on. I, I agree with you. I have a feeling that it might have something to do about the vulnerability that mm-hmm. we don't necessarily see in the the regular models, the skinny models, because they've been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. So no, like you said, there's no surprise. We've seen yeah. them everywhere. Yeah, true. So there's like a permissiveness around their objectivist, um, <laughs> objectivization. Yeah, objectifying. <laughs> but so their own objectification has been going on for years. So it's now almost like washed yeah. over mm-hmm. whilst yours is maybe more prominent. It's interesting because I was thinking once in a while when I become self-critical, when I see my shape in the mirror and I feel like there's a belch somewhere and I hear a critical voice, I kind of hold for a second and I'm like, some of my closest friends that I think are the most gorgeous, beautiful, sunny, radiant people I know, that none of them are perfect. First of all, we're not really in that age group where perfect lives so much. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, although that happens, and I thought, why am I judging myself differently than how much love I have for these other people? For sure. It's really hard to do. That's one of the things I get the most from girls like on socials and writing to me is like, you know, how do I quiet the voice? How do I just, I'm okay with what I look like? How am I okay with cellulite? Or am I okay with roles? And it's exactly what you say. It's about accepting it. You know, it doesn't matter that moment really if you necessarily love it or not because to me loving it is the next step it's more accepting it is the hardest one if you're able to just say "Eh," and just like accept it regardless of of what it is what shape what size what weight then that's a huge step and then loving will come with time but accepting it is really really important and just like you said like would you be so harsh on your friends if they were just like you no you wouldn't that's really efficient. Like thinking like that will actually get you like to feel better about yourself. Because I feel like that mostly like I don't have any more issues with my body or the way I look anymore. But I'm struggling with a lot of, you know, mental issues and how I see myself. And so I'm, I'm trying to do the same. Like, would I be so harsh on my best friends if they were feeling like that or thinking like that? No, I wouldn't. And I'm like, why am I beating myself up again? You know? So I'm trying to to do that as well for, it works for anything really, like doing that, like just like judge yourself, just like you would do your best friends. And then you would probably be way less judgmental towards yourself. Mm. The other day I was teaching a mindfulness class to a beginner's group in the work that I was doing. I was introduced to this notion and I think you're going to enjoy it. (laughs) I I think it's going to work right in that sweet spot. So I can't remember which teacher brought this to me, but it was so brilliant. They said, imagine that the voice inside your head is a physical person. Like it's Mm -hmm. someone who lives in your house with you. And once you personify this and you listen to the voice and you imagine this person's actually living with you, would you ever let them live with you? No. I mean, I mean, I would argue that, but... Sure. <laughs> but listen to what you say to you. Yeah. I feel like we're always worse with ourselves than we are with anybody else. No, for sure. That's so true. We're the worst. We're the worst. Yeah. One of the events that we had with AWP, I had a girl that had a really good advice. She's like, I gave my insecurity a name. So I don't, I don't remember what he was like, Joe or Jimmy or, so she's every time it's talking to me, she was like, shut up, Joe. <laughs> she was just like, and she said he works really well. And so I thought that was really nice. But like, I tried that and it was, it was kind of good. That's very it, funny. 
I yeah, think I would good. give mine like a Spanish name. Antonio, enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. Um, I had heard Liz Gilbert, you know, the writer. So she was talking about the creative process and how hard it was because when we're fearful, fear is just like taking over. One of the mindfulness practices is to actually acknowledge. And so she was like, fear, thank you so much. I know you're here for a reason. She was very gentle. Me and creativity, we're going to go on, a, on the road. It's going to be a really beautiful journey and you can come, but you will not be steering the wheel. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Back seat. <laughs> it's like, back I acknowledge seat. that you want to protect me. That's very kind of you, but we're being daring and bold and we're going to be doing this. And I thought, yeah. huh, my fears are often hiding. They're like disguised. They're dressed up. So you can't really quite see what's going on. Yeah. And it's really hard to identify them sometimes, like you said, because a friend actually really recently asked me, what are you scared of? I don't think I'm scared of anything. Like there's nothing that I can think of that I'm like, oh, I'm so scared. You know, there's nothing that's like tangible that I'm scared of. But then I thought about it. I ended up saying like, actually, the only thing I'm scared of is not to live to my full potential. And that's been like, since I was a kid, you know, just like being afraid, literally petrified of under delivering life choices, work, personal life, dog walk, like anything. I can't do anything because of it. Sometimes it keeps me from even doing anything at all because I'm scared that I won't do my best. And so sometimes it's really hard to identify. Like I was here sitting like an idiot. Like, I don't know what I'm scared of. And it sounded so like cocky, like I'm not scared of anything. But then, you know, I thought about this and this kind of just like applies to every single part of my life. So I guess in some way I'm scared of a lot of things because of that. It's really hard to get over it. Mm. I think that there's the cousin of the fear that you're describing, which is perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Because perfectionism is one of the ways that we stop ourselves from doing anything. To me, I don't know if it would be like perfectionism, but it's more just doing doing what's best for me. So it's not necessarily perfect, but it's like at least being content and satisfied with myself, or like living up to my expectations. That's really hard because we have way higher expectations for ourselves than we have for others. And I would say if I had lived just like to the expectations that I have for my friends, oh my God, like I'd be golden. <laughs> but no, for me, it's like, it's, it's more. It's always more and it's always harder and it's tiring. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm the same. So following a bit on that conversation, I wanted to touch a little bit on the beauty business because um, Mm -hmm. prior to being a consultant, obviously I was at Louboutin and there was a lot of buzz online after you posted a video that you had done in Paris wearing the brand new Christian Louboutin uh, rouge lipstick. And obviously I was the head of global communications at the time. So I'm pretty, (laughs) pretty aware of what the content of the coverage was which was in large part completely fabricated by the press. But the New York Times had caught my eye because I I reread earlier today a really, really great article um, where the conversation touches not just the plus size models in the fashion industry, but also travels into the beauty industry. And I felt that there was something super interesting there. There was such a huge buzz and there was no messaging either from your end or our end that was communicating any kind of actual beauty endorsement. Yeah, I was wondering, how do you feel the relationship is today with the beauty world? Uh, I mean, it's surely way different than it was back in the days when this came out. Yeah, because that was 2015. That feels like forever ago, but also like it was yesterday because I remember that weekend when the first article came out. And then by the time I was done reading it, there was another 10 and I spent I remember I was so scared just because I was like, 
but that's not true. I remember my friends were telling me, yeah, but they're not saying anything bad. I'm like, yeah, but that's not true. And I remember spending the whole weekend in my bed, like petrified because I didn't know what to deal with it. Like, because people were emailing me and calling me and I was just like, "Ah." Yeah, no. But the truth is, when something is touches close to home for the consumer or the reader, that's, and I feel bad saying it in pandemic times, that's when stuff goes viral. There was a bunch of other beautiful images that were released by other people who are close to the brand. We had seeded the lipstick just to see how people liked it. Yours was the one that went completely bonkers. Yeah, I think it's just the need, you know, that is still relevant today, but especially back in the days, the need of seeing imagery that not only is real, feels reliable, and also is disrupting in some way because a very luxurious French brand that is allegedly associating with a plus size model that that would still today that has never happened and that would probably never happen anytime soon. I I feel like people just believe what they want to see and they were really happy about that. And so they just decided that's just what it was, I guess. I see what you're saying, but we had posted other people's stuff as well. I think that you struck gold for a couple reasons. First, you looked really beautiful in that video. Just let's say it. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. (laughs) I think second, which I did not expect or think of at the time, it was video rather than photography, which everybody else had done photography. So maybe that just gave them a sense of it's an ad. Yeah. And then the third thing is you were French and it was in Paris. Yeah, yeah. But I was just like, once the whole thing had passed, it was a lot of interview of like saying what actually happened versus what they thought happened. So I definitely got some press from it. I'm not complaining. I think it was good in the way that it really showed what the people are craving. Real people that look like actual customers. Because, you know, that video was taken in like 10 minutes with a friend. There was no Photoshop, no color, no nothing. So it, it was real, you know, it was just... And it was such a great lipstick, by the way. And since then... There's less and less Photoshop, even from big brands, maybe not like luxury beauty brand with us whole other world. But like for most brands, there's less and less Photoshop. They're using people that look like you and I and everyone else more and more because there's body diversity, sure. But there's also just like relatability, like people want to see themselves in ads. So I think there's definitely an effort that's been done from brands to like listen to what customers want. And they want real people. They want real women. They want real imageries. They want diversity. They want representation. And they want all that. And they're asking for it more and more because of social media. So now it's become really hard to ignore what customer wants. Now brands and and magazines and everything have to listen to them. Or if not, they will get backlash. The world has definitely changed in that area, for sure. Now, you've just mentioned sort of more diversity being requested by the customer. And I think it's time that you should tell us um, more about the All Women Project. So do you want to tell us a bit about the genesis of it and what do you guys do? Yeah. So the All Women Project started in about four years ago, 2016. Uh, the original idea behind it was that my co-founder at the time, who's not with us anymore, but Charlie and I uh, were both models and uh, she was straight size and I was plus size. And when we met, we were just talking about how we never get to model together, us or any other woman of color or woman of disability. We are all models and we're all women and we're, we're just like selling the same thing, but somehow we're put in different boxes. We wanted to do something in order to like disrupt the fashion and beauty industry 
and the media and letting them know that all bodies are good bodies and they can all look gorgeous in the same picture. Because at the time, like all the body positivity campaigns and movement that happened had very um, almost childish imagery in some way, never glamorous, never sexy, never fun. It was always just like a collection of straight bodies next to each other, like not looking cool. You know what I mean? So like body positive was not cool. Why can't it be? Why can't it be Vogue worthy? And that was our whole thing. You know, I contacted my friends that were all gorgeous women, photographers, videographers, models, influencers, and we put them all in a room for a whole weekend and we shot over two days, videos and photos. It was pretty damn gorgeous. And so... I contacted the editors for Teen Vogue and Vogue and The Cut and Glamour, like all those people I've been working with for a few years already. But, and I was like, here's a Google Drive link with all the images that we just shot. Here's our slogan. Here's what we want to call ourselves. And this is the reason why we're doing this. And so we sent them this little folder. And within 24 hours, we had like people fighting over exclusives. There's, there's a demand and there's a need of this type of imagery. And so we went live. It went viral, like over 500 million impression in a week. Everywhere, every country in the world was posting about it in every language. It was great. And then a few weeks passed and we had like brands partnership requests. We had a bunch of media requests. And most importantly, we had women writing to us through our Facebook and Instagram account that we had just launched. They were like, so what's next? And that's when we started thinking, like, what is our goal? Are we a brand? Are we a movement? Are we a charity? Are we... We didn't really agree, Charlie and I, on what we wanted to do next. I wanted to build it into a charity and organization that has for goal to help women and to promote diversity and representation through beauty industry, all industry, really, the media and society in general. And so that's what we ultimately became. Like a year later, we uh, registered as 501c3, so we're a charity. And we started focusing on in-person events. We started a local group in different parts, different cities in the country of women that meet every single month uh, as a support group. Well, before COVID, right? right? So now we had to just like slightly reinvent ourselves. Like instead of in-person meeting and events, now we're doing weekly interviews on Thursdays at 4 p.m. EST. And also weekly classes and workshop with different women that inspire us from Pilates to yoga to shake your booty class to mentorship. And so, yeah, we're just, we're just really trying to uplift and inspire and support women and help them really feel like, you know, represented and loved in so many ways. But yeah, we're planning, you know, and, um, and so we're looking forward to like going back to those like in-person meetings because online is great. And I feel like we've been doing a lot. Just in person is just something that is very special, you know, connecting like most of our events and meeting is about sharing stories and connecting on a very deep personal level. Uh, about issues that go from mental health to body positivity to, you know, women in the workplace to discriminations. Like we talk about so much and I feel like face-to-face emotional connection that we get there, it's like really different than the one we get online. So we're very excited about going back there. We also produce a lot of campaigns. So that's where we get our imagery. We work with a bunch of like young activists, young women to create our imagery and a great like sponsors and brands to help us grow as well. It's amazing. So we had to kind of put a pause on all of this. First, we got hacked. And then COVID happened. Okay, 2020, like reset. We'll see you on Zoom. We'll start over next year. <laughs> um, so, you know, 
that's kind of what happened for us. It was, you know, it's been, it's been tough. Thank God I still have like, I have one full-time employee and she's still here and I still can pay her. So that's all that matters. We're just looking forward to creating amazing imagery and seeing our girls again in real life and just growing. Sure. Um, I read in one of the interviews and I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful terminology you used. I read that what your goal was, was to help young women know that their dreams are limitless, that basically the sky's mm-hmm. the limit. And I thought that was yeah. so beautiful. I think that was in the Vogue article. And so I was wondering, how do you get that message across? Is it only through the imagery? Do people solely contact you through Instagram? Or how do you think those campaigns can evolve, maybe even outside of the US in the future? Because I, I feel like this is, yeah, for listen, sure. I would have needed that message when I was a teenager mm-hmm. or a young woman. So I care. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And that's, that's the reason why, you know, I created that and, and I worked so hard on it because I wish I had that when I was growing up because I didn't like myself. And I thought because I was fat, I will not be able to get the best husband or the best job or the best life or the best anything really. Not only through those imageries, I think our imagery is very diverse and we make sure we provide representation for girls and women that don't feel themselves seen. But we also provide access to mentors, access to like women that are extremely inspiring from all different kinds of backgrounds that are now in all kinds of different industries, but all very successful and inspiring. So our goal is just to like shine a light on those women. A lot of women coming from minority backgrounds, women of color. And that's really important for us because we believe that if you don't see yourself represented, you can't really project yourself to be what you want to be. So it's very important that we shine light on all kinds of women that are successful in what they're doing because it's probably going to inspire a little girl or a young woman that's watching us and that's following us to be just like her or to know that she can do anything just like her regardless of the color of her skin, her size, or what's her background. You know, that's the way that we do it. We also believe that self-love and self-acceptance is the first step to being able to really do anything at all in life. And if you don't have that, you won't ever take the steps you need to be happy. So it's really important for us that we get that. We get them the inspiration they need, the visuals they need, so they can feel represented, feel love, and develop self-acceptance and you know, go wherever they want mm. to go. How young are the girls who join you? Do you, you not know really? Um, I would say, well, on average, it's anywhere between 17 and 35 okay. is like our biggest chunk. But we do have like girls around 10, 12. Like I have like kids and friends of their daughters follow mm. us. So it, we have young kids as well. And we also have women that are way over 50 because we're really trying to talk to all kinds of women. So depending on the campaigns that we have and right now, like our last campaign was like with young activists. So those would be like younger people. But then in the previous one that was beauty, we had a model that was 72 years old. So we're really trying to diversify as much. Like we're all, it, it makes sense and everyone is, is represented. Yeah, do you know what I love about those images as well? Is the feeling of community. We get that bond. It kind of comes through yeah. the images. And, and I thought that was mm-hmm. beautiful. Well, it's, it's very real as well because I feel like I've modeled a lot of those campaigns where we're like pretend like we're friends and getting really close. And that was really awkward. You know, I think what really is transparent in our images is that we really do care and we really do have fun. Mm-hmm. Like I've been speaking to a lot of our campaigns girls over the past few weeks. Uh, every Thursday at four, we're speaking to an inspiring woman and a lot of them have been in our campaigns previously. 
And almost all of them said that their AWP shoot was one of their best days they ever had because of the community, because they felt like even though they never met those girls that were with her, they became sisters mm-hmm. that day uh, by sharing experiences and, you know, sharing sometimes tears and moment of joys. And, and our shoots are really awesome and I miss them so much. And I don't know when next we're going to be able to have 20 people on set at once. But I really, really look forward to it because it's such special times. So one of the campaigns I saw, it was shot in swimsuits. There was an amazing Muslim model, uh, Miski Muse. Miski Muse, yes. That was our campaign with Refinery. It was stunning. Yeah. That was fascinating to me because I felt it was an even broader conversation you, you were opening. I felt that this one was super, I don't know, it touched me. It was super special. So... I had a couple of questions for you. You can pick whichever one interests mm-hmm. you most. So okay. you know that me and this podcast, we like to touch a bit on mindfulness. And I was wondering, how do you approach a shoot like this? And how do you help other women feel comfortable, strong? Is there a positive mantra? Is there any kind of tool that helped you in your own confidence mm-hmm. that you were able to imbue them with? Honestly, to me, the experience is not, I mean, it is about the final images, but the only way to get that is about the people on set, the relationship that everyone has. That's the kindness, the care, the love. It's really like the language that we use is different than any other set. It's really much about the team. That's why all of our shoots are all women. I talk mostly personally with every single member of the team to make sure, you know, they know that it's not your regular shoot. You can't be talking to people expeditedly. Like you have to care. You have Mm. to like take time for food and drinks. And I think that's why it's such a great day for everyone. It's because if you're used to be on set, it's totally different than any other set you've been on. And if you're not used to be on set, it's not so scary that you feel shy or that it's still very human. Our shoes are really like all sisterhood and it's all loving and kindness. And I think this is why the images look so good, very honestly, because we're not doing anything too different than any other shoot. And it makes the girl feel really, really comfortable. You know, that's what I want in the end. Like, I want them to feel comfortable for the images, but also I want them to be inspired by the experience so they can go out and talk about us, talk about what we do and be an advocate for us. So I want to make sure they feel their best. I'm glad I pulled up that thread. I appreciate that so much because I think you know this about me. Kindness is something that is a value that I feel is very, is not mm-hmm. prominent enough in, in our society. And we yeah. did see a lot of kindness come out of, the hard time, the harsh times, I could say that we've all been going through. Let's hope that there's more and more kindness coming. Um, But so you are also an entrepreneur. You were for many years a blogger. I'd love to know where, where, (laughs) where do you imagine Clementine to go? Where, where are you going to be post COVID in a year or five years or 10 years time? How do you imagine your future? Oh God, long-term, like there's things that I keep working on regardless of what's going on in the world. So, you know, I keep, you know, working on AWP. As I said, we're launching our merch soon and we're planning post-COVID partnerships and great stuff. So hopefully that's going to keep growing. And I'm really excited about growing that movement a lot. You know, hopefully modeling is still going to be here for me a few more years because it's great. So I just hope to do that for maybe another 10 years or so. That'd be great. Yeah, so I can work on everything else 
which includes writing a book that I started. Still working on that, working on a book, which probably is going to be a little different now because so much has happened since I first started it. Working on my first line too. You know, I want to make jumpsuits and resort wear, swim. Yeah, so, I mean, I want to do that. It's like one of my dreams and it sounds crazy because we all know small designers don't do well and it's really hard and it costs a lot of money, but I just still want to do it so bad. So I will do it. And we'll see how it goes. And then in my 40s, I want to have my own ice cream brand with like a shop in Wynwood in Miami and then export it and have it in every like freezers of the world. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly sorbets made with uh, herbs from the south of France. My favorite sorbets are like fruit and herbs mix. So like strawberry basil, apricot thyme. And so I have an ice cream machine I'm practicing with. When I have a couple kids and they're running around and all I have to do is taste recipes and then... That's what I'm going to do. So yeah. I have so much respect for that idea. (laughs) I love gelato. But the best one I had was in Rome. And it was this little place. And it was a gorgonzola gelato. I remember you telling me about it. I've tried since then. And we, it wasn't the same Mm -hmm. place, I assume. But we tried it. And it really left us an aftertaste. (laughs) It's really strong. Like, do not play around. If you're not used to it, do not play around. But to me, it was so shocking. Mine was just literally just like gorgonzola, but sweet. So you had the strength, like the really smelly strength of the gorgonzola. But then it was sweet cream. Like the aftertaste was kind of sweet cream. I love it. (laughs) Oh my God. That was my favorite. Like that was by far the craziest ice cream I ever had. So good. I only have a couple of more questions for you. And then I have some quick fire questions. Okay. First of all, what does femininity mean to you? Hmm. From gelato to femininity. Oh, well, it goes together. <laughs> Sexy topics. Yeah, femininity, it, it's a very interesting term because I don't necessarily consider myself feminine in many ways. I'm pretty much a tomboy that likes to wear jumpsuits and sneakers and, you know, get into dirt. My vision of femininity has changed a lot over the years. And now I do think that a woman that's feminine is a woman who embraces herself, regardless of what herself is. She doesn't have to wear lipstick or dresses or be cute. It doesn't matter. As long as she's going with herself, then she's like gorgeous in a way that's more like a sunshine type of gorgeous. I think that's what makes her feminine. Being perfect sync with your true self and like the woman is inside of you. Because just so many women are trying to be someone else and you can tell, you know? by the way they dress and the way they act. And when you find one that's just like fully herself and it just shines, and then it's, that's, I think that's great femininity. There's a couple of terms that you've just used that makes so much sense to me as well. I think being whole in yourself. I was going to talk about integration earlier because sometimes I feel like we're so split between all of our various personas, who we are at work, at home, with the lover, with the friends, with when you just link all of these pieces back together and you accept all of them. And then you talked about shining again. And that makes me think, obviously, now I've seen the video with um, Castelluna. And I have a feeling that the reason why it did really, really well, and well, you're dancing, is because you were shining through the camera. Yeah, that's true. But I felt really good in that moment. But at the time, I wasn't really feeling like that I was pretty much like fake it till you make it you know I was still I was 20 what 21 I didn't love myself I didn't accept myself and I was really really harsh on myself and so it's funny how I was still able to like show that image but inside I was I wasn't whole I wasn't fully myself 
Yeah, I understand. I have a feeling it's also age that helps a lot with that. Age definitely helps. Oh my God, in so many ways. I just, I'm so grateful that I'm getting older and I just love who I am more and more and I'm just more accepting and kinder the older I get. And I'm actually excited to get older because I think it's only going to get better until a certain point, granted. But, and sometimes it is the only way. Like, you know, sometimes you can give all the advice in the world, but really the only thing you need is time. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask you publicly, you announced uh, recently, I think it was mainly via your Instagram, that you'd stepped out of your long-term relationship for um, really serious reasons. And I know that there's lawyers involved and I want to be careful about how we talk about this, not to make things hard for you or legally challenging. But I thought maybe there was something that you wanted wanted to share about the experience. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I did share on my Instagram my personal story, what I went through. And, you know, how I felt. And I've done quite a lot of work um, with different charities and organizations that are helping women uh, victim of abuse of all sorts. And, you know, I'm planning to do more public speaking around it. You know, it's really hard to just like don't realize you're a victim of abuse until you realize that you are a victim of abuse. I've never ever thought that that was my case until I spoke to people for the first time. I spoke about what was going on and then it was so clear for them that it was the case that it was shocking. That was life-changing to just like speak to those hotlines and hear what they had to say about what was going on. And I knew stuff were wrong, but I would have never thought I could put that kind of name on it. And that's something I just like, since I came out with the story, so many women that I know and so many that I don't know reached out to me with their story. A lot of them are still in their situations and need help and advice. And, and, and so that's been great to be able to help them in some ways to connect them with the right people and the right organization to, to get the help they need. Yeah, I've been, it's really still, it's still really tough for me to talk about because I'm still going through it heavily. You know, I have like sure. a court day on Monday, so I, I'm still like really actively in it and dealing with it and all the consequences of it. So I look forward for it to be in the past, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. But it was important for me to come out at this point because I felt like I had kept everything I've been through for years and years to myself because I was scared to be a victim. And then I was ashamed that I accepted so much. And and so I didn't speak. And I think that was one of the reasons why I went through this for so long is because I didn't want to share what was really going on. And so at first I wanted to wait till it was all over to talk about it. But then I was like, no, like, you know, I wish I, I wish I would have read something like that maybe a few years ago. So I would have been out of it for longer. So sure. that's that's why I shared it. You know, it was not without consequences that I shared it. And it was uh, but I don't regret any of it. And I'm so glad I did. And in my highlights, there's a private group chat for women that are you know, victim of abuse or have question about it. I also weekly, I share resources on my story and it's for the US, for the UK, for Europe. Plenty of women came and asked me questions right after that. And I'm open to talk with them anytime. So yeah, I'm, you know, I'm getting over it. So now I'm just looking forward to helping others with it. Sure. And I would love to ask you to send me the details of all of these different resources to put in the show notes as well. Oh yeah, of course. Yes. I send it to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, the interview is coming to a close. I mean, I will ask you a few quick fire questions, but what sound or noise do you love? I love the noise of my fingers going into raw meat when I'm making meatballs. Gross. <laughs> yes, yeah, so gross. But I love it. You know it. why? Because like, I'm, veget- I'm a vegetarian now. So that's why. I know, I know. But, but it's like a nice squish. Oh, I love it. Amazing. Could you also tell me what are you not very good at? Oh my God. So many things. Mostly uh, growing plants. I'm trying so hard. I've never had that many plants in my whole life, but it's so hard to keep them alive. I don't know. It's, they don't respond to me. Hmm. That's so strange. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's getting better, but... What book is next to your bed? Or what, what are you reading right now? I am I'm on and off reading The Five Love Languages. Oh, nice. Yeah. I haven't I read it. I started a while ago. I started a while ago, and then I did the test and everything. It's interesting. It's really, actually, I really like it. Because then you can just realize that, you know, all your life you have not been loved the way you want to be loved. And that's why you've been so unhappy. Not necessarily because the person was wrong, just the way they loved you was wrong, or at least not what you need. And so it's kind of eye-opening. It's really interesting. Mm. Um, Who do you admire? Mm. A lot of people. I mean, mostly I admire young women that are in my circles and that are activists in their own right and are standing up for other women. There's a list, like, I just went on a live with Chloe. She's 12 years old activist from LA. Like, she's making masks. She's working on schools in Ghana. Like, she's helping her community for everything around COVID. She's amazing. Another one is Haley. She's another young activist. I think she's 18. She's writing a vegan cookbook, like, inspiring a community, educating kids about health. I'm just really into young women that are doing shit. I was not that active when I was their age, and I was, I'm just in awe of what their generation is doing. I mean, I just want to say you were in Toulouse without the internet, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just bringing it right back. <laughs> True. Uh, they sound amazing. I would love to have the details for their websites or Instagrams and stuff to, to check yeah, them out for myself I'm as well. Send it to you. Yeah. What's a recipe you could make with your eyes closed? Because I know. Oh my God. Bolognese. I've been doing Bolognese every single weekend for the last four weeks. So I think I get this down now. I was like freaking perfect. Mm, awesome. Just two more. What would you say to your younger self? I would say stand up for yourself. Beautiful. And what brings you happiness? Uh, baguette brings me happiness. And sunrise brings me happiness. Sunset, nature. Sounds gorgeous. Just to remind people, baguette is not just a bread, although I'm sure you're very fond of baguette, <laughs> the bread, but it is your baguette wonderful Baguette is my dog. puppy. Clem, thank you so much for uh, giving me so much of your time today. It was an absolute pleasure, not just to talk to you, but also just to, to discover more about what you do and, and what you stand for and all of your projects. So if people want to find you, where can they find you? On Instagram? On Yes, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Bonjour Clem, B-O-N-J-O-U-R, or The All Woman Project, Woman with an X. I email everywhere. So if you want to chat more, just email me. I always answer. And yeah. That's it. Thank you again. I hope you have a fantastic day ahead. Is it sunny and hot in Miami? Yes. Well, thanks again. Have a wonderful day. I'm sure we'll speak very, very soon. Yes, thanks. My thanks to Clem for this lovely conversation. All the links for her work, details of the All Woman Project, 
and other resources and even her bolognese are in the show notes. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you can join us again next time. Our theme music is by Connor Heffernan, artwork by the wonderful Brian Ponto. And you can soon find all of my episodes and find out more about my projects at annvmulatala.com. If you don't know how to spell it, don't worry, it's also in the show notes. You can register your email, the site will be live soon. Meanwhile, you can follow me at Anvi. If you can, rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps other people find it and we really appreciate it very much. Until next time, be well, be safe. Remember the hand washing and all of that good stuff. <laughs>